Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. So, so glad to be here today. I'm thankful for my friend Jason. And uh, it's always disappointing when I come because I want to hear Jason speak. And then I have to hear my own voice speak. So I'm sorry about that if you came today and you're like the same way. I can be like, yeah, me too. I feel that. Hey, uh, if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, and I hope you do, please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Now, our main passage today is going to be 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, but we're going to start back in the Old Testament. And let me give you the goal for God's word and our hearts here together today. It's this, that you would understand the Lord's Supper and practice it more rightly. That the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ would shine upon us in our hearts as we practice the Lord's Supper. Uh, really, the point of today's message is just a lead up to the culmination of the service, which is the Lord's Supper, okay? So this is an extended devotional, which will take us to the whole point of our service and our worship time together today. All right, let me say this. Jesus gave two, many, 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 many commands to his people in the New Testament in his earthly ministry. But he only gave two, count them, two ordinances. That's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, you may be saying, hey, what's an ordinance, you ask? Well, there was a really, really early church father. His name was Augustine, and he said this, an ordinance is just a visible form of an invisible grace. An ordinance, in other words, is like a wedding ring. It's a symbol on your finger of a relationship. It's not the relationship itself, but it's a symbol of the relationship. It's an outward sign of an inward reality, a truth to you. It's not the grace itself. It's a picture of the grace. I like that word. I like that word for picture. Let's run with that for just a second. What we're saying is that in the New Testament, Jesus gave us two pictures. Pictures that are to hang on the walls in the home of our lives. Just like how you hang pictures in your homes. I hope you do. Do you hang pictures in your homes uh, that, that would remind you, that would uh, draw your heart to the things that you really value, the people that you love even? We hang pictures in our homes, pictures like this. And, and, and this is what God's Word is telling us. God's Word is telling us that, that, that the Lord's Supper is one of these pictures, pictures that tell us of His kindness, pictures that tell of His mercy, His grace, His sacrifice, His great love for you. It tells you of a relationship that exists. But here's the funny thing about pictures. It's possible, is it not, to walk into your home day after day, week after week, and not look at that one picture that hangs in your house. Have you ever thought about that? Do you ever walk in your home and every time you walk in the home, you, t- you make a sharp left and you walk over to the wall where Aunt Gertrude is and stare at Aunt Gertrude? Do you do that? You don't do that because you forget, don't you? It's possible to walk in and not really notice them. It's possible to forget the pictures, to downplay the pictures, to be flippant with them, to get tired of them. It's true in our houses 
It's also true in our churches. So I'll tell you right away, the win for us today in our church is that our hearts will be united as we celebrate the Lord's Supper with a deeper knowledge that leads to a deeper love for the Lord. And if that happens today, if that's the takeaway for you today, then I will just say praise the Lord for that. Uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Here's the thing, though, uh, about this. I'm not going to see this. I'm not going to be able to see this on your face. The person sitting next to you is not going to notice whether or not the change has happened in you. Uh, unlike other weekends that you may be here, there's nothing to sign up for in the lobby afterwards about the Lord's Supper. This week, this week is between you and Jesus. Jesus who's speaking to you and looking always for your heart. You'll know and he'll know, but that's it. So that's a good place for us to stop even as we begin. Because if these things are really important, if these pictures are really important to us, then we need to not forget them, to not downplay them, to not get tired of them, to not be flippant with them. For this to happen, we need the Lord's help. So let me begin and pray for us. Would you bow with me again? So Lord, for this to happen again, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Maybe even right now, conviction settling in of, yeah, you know, it's true that whenever I sit down and celebrate the Lord's Supper, I'm not always 100% dialed in. I'm not always there. But today, Lord, today I want to be. Today, as I stare at the end of the service and know that the Lord's Supper is coming, I want to worship you through that more than I have ever done in my life before. That you be glorified. So Lord, lead me in truth, by your spirit, for your glory, and for my great joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1,400 years before Jesus and his disciples break bread and drink from a cup, there was a feast. Actually, it was a meal on the run. And this is incredibly important for us to understand. Exodus 12 records for us the Passover. Israel is an impressed nation. It's on the verge of eradication by genocide at the hands of the Egyptians. All seems lost. They have only one defense, but that defense is the Lord of hosts. All seems lost, but the Lord of hosts is on the march. The God who can exhale stars and planets into existence. The God who can breathe out continents and oceans. The God who has promised that he would protect his people is about to protect his people. And so to break the grip of the global superpower of the day, the Lord sends nine plagues on Egypt. And you can read about that in Exodus 1 through 11. And here's now, he comes and he brings the final plague, the plague of the firstborn. But Israel is going to be safe, he promises, if they do what he commands. Exodus chapter 12, you're there, hopefully, verse 1 says this. 
The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Now down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Jump down to verse 13. This blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Belts fastened, sandals on. This is food for the road because the people of God are going to be delivered. It's guaranteed. Bank on it. Get ready, God says, because you're about to go free. And sure enough, At the cries of dawn, the Egyptians mourn the loss of their firstborn, and the Israelites are delivered from bondage and slavery by the Lord and by the blood of the Lamb. This meal marks the birth of the nation. Who is Israel? Well, they're the people of God who were rescued out of Egypt. And the Passover would remind them year after year after year that they were a people, the only people ever, whom the God, whom God rescued from slavery and made his own. That's a picture of a ritual. It's a picture of physical deliverance. The meal defines the people. They all celebrate it and no one else does. It told every Israelite year after year after year that they were a people who had been enslaved but that their God is a God who rescues and frees from slavery. Now let's jump ahead 1,400 years from that first table in Egypt to Palestine, to the city of Jerusalem specifically, just outside the temple to the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. Now at a second table, Jesus sits. Mark's gospel records it for us. It's on the screen here for you. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, to phrase out our time together today, I'm going to give you a couple questions. And if you're taking notes, here's point number one. What is the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? Now, this is the scene with Jesus. This is a Passover feast, if you haven't caught it. At twilight, all the lambs, scores of them, are going to be killed. They're going to be consumed in remembrance of a physical deliverance of the Lord out of the land of Egypt. And just like countless 
Jews before him, Jesus follows the format of the Passover meal, except he departs from the normal way of doing things in the middle of the celebration. He takes the unleavened bread and he holds it in his hand and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then when the supper is done, he takes the wine in effect and says, I'm attaching new significance. I'm attaching new meaning to this cup as you celebrate it. This wine is my blood, not the blood of the lamb from the Old Testament, whose blood marked the doorposts and the lintels, but this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see what he's saying here? It's so significant. He's saying this, I am the Passover. I am the lamb. I am the one who will be sacrificed for you. It's by my blood being marked over the door of your life by which you will escape the wrath of God. Jesus is saying from now on, it's my blood, my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. This is the blood of the new covenant. And this new covenant, he institutes on that very night, fulfilling the old covenant, giving in its fullest and deepest meaning. And at that Passover meal, that was declaring a physical deliverance out of the land of Egypt from bondage and the wrath of God for 1400 years, year after year, after year, after year, they celebrated. And now Jesus in Palestine sits at that table and says, that was all pointing to me. It was always about me. Just as you were saved from physical wrath and judgment by the blood of the lambs in Egypt, now you are saved by my blood. You see, the Passover was a picture also. It was to hang on the walls of the hearts of the people of Israel, reminding them year after year after year of the deliverance of the Lord. And in that room on that night, the disciples look again at the picture. The Lord tells them, this picture is all about me. You celebrate the deliverance of the Lord, he says, and so you should. But tonight, the Lord is here in your midst, and I will win the greatest battle of them all. You've been looking all of your lives at this picture, generation after generation after generation, celebrating this event, and it's all about me. And before the sun would wipe away the night, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would hang on the cross, sacrificed for the sins of the world, bringing so much more than physical deliverance. Innocent, yet slain for you and I. Under the wrath of man and facing the judgment of God, Jesus takes my place. He dies for my sin, and I find life. And the cycle of sin in my life and the power of Satan in my life and the destiny of hell that my life was facing, Jesus comes along with a baseball bat and shatters. And his great love, which binds him to the cross, is shed for me. And he dies in my place. And I am forgiven and I am declared righteous and I am welcomed into the presence of God, not as a slave, but as a son. Nothing because of what I have done. All because of Jesus. All because the great lamb of God was slain for me, for you. What is the Lord's Supper? It's a picture of the body and the blood of Jesus given for you, for me, that we might have life. 
It's a picture of an ocean of love poured out for you upon a cross. It's a picture of my freedom from sin and death because the Savior himself took my place. It's a picture of the glory of God and of his mercy and of his grace. That's what the Lord's Supper is. That's what it means to us as followers of Christ. And that's the answer to our first question. Well, let's answer the second question now. Now that we know what it means, how should we observe the Lord's Supper? And let's answer this question by looking at 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, If you have your word, again, please flip there for me. Let's get the truth in front of us. And because I've bookmarked it, I flipped there super fast and impressed you all. There, done. But you can do it, right? You can turn in in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, God's word in front of you as we proclaim the rule of our life and our hope. Uh, Please turn there. Uh, Under this big question of how we should observe the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask a couple other questions like, uh, what are the elements we should use? Uh, How often should we do it? And how should we prepare our hearts for it? Uh, Let's begin in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11. This is now the Apostle Paul's words. He's saying this, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper, how should we proclaim it? By the way, before we even go any further, some of you grew up calling the Lord's Supper something else. I did. Uh, Maybe, and this is on the slide for you here, maybe you grew up calling it Eucharist. Uh, You can see the idea of giving thanks. That's coming from that word. Eucharisto is to give thanks. You can see that in verse 24. That's where that's coming from. Some of you grew up calling it communion. That was me. That's the idea of coming together. And you can see that in verses 17 and 18 just above. But here we see in verse 20 the title given of Lord's Supper. Here's the truth for you. The name is not that important. The meaning and the practice are. But there you go. Maybe that's clarifying something right now. Let me ask a second question. What are the elements that we use? What do we use to depict the picture? What's the frame made of? What's the glass made of? What kind of elements are we using? If baptism, the other ordinance, is plunging into water, what does this ordinance use? Well, it's fairly simple. You can see this in verse 23. It's bread. And verse 25, it's wine or the cup. But that may bring up some other questions. You might be like, ha-ha, Oakville Craig, I have a question for you. Should we use real wine? What kind of wine? Should it be red or white? What year of wine? Should we use Niagara or should we go from Israel? Can we use grape juice? Is that okay? Can the bread be unleavened? What if the bread had yeast in it? Is that okay? Can it be a loaf of bread that I tear from? Or does it have to be flat crackers all the time? Well, you know what? Uh, I've read uh, that actually first century wheat does not actually exist anymore. Uh, Can we use current wheat requirements and things like that? What about me? I'm gluten-free. What if I live in a climate where wheat is not the dominant grain? 
and grapes are not the common beverage. Now, all those are interesting questions, and not one of them am I going to answer, because they're questions that are not central to the observance of the Lord's Supper. Because again, this is a picture of the grace that is given to us. It's not the grace itself. Listen, it's not the substances that are critical, but the meaning behind the substance. Because Jesus, true or false, is always looking for my heart. So in our church, in this church, grape juice and cracker. And now, because of COVID, noisy packages unwrapped at the worst moments in the service. Much love, okay? Okay, next question. How often should we practice the Lord's Supper? Okay, on the one hand, verse 25, Jesus says this, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, that seems to suggest that the church should celebrate the Passover. And every year, it should celebrate the Passover. And on a yearly basis, then it's practiced. But it could also seem to suggest that the churches should celebrate the Lord's Supper often, but maybe not even specifying how often. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is in Troas, and we read this on the first day of the week when we gather together to break bread. Now, that may seem to suggest that the Lord's Supper was an essential part of their weekly uh, gathering, but here's the thing. There are no other places in the New Testament that mentions or even alludes to frequency. So what a lot of churches do, including this one, is take the approach that we will celebrate the Lord's Supper frequently and reverently. Reverently and frequently. Frequently enough that it's not forgotten, but reverently enough that it's not downplayed or treated with flippancy, or it's just another thing we do. Frequent enough that it retains value, which generally looks like 12 or so times a year, front of the month, always at, the, always at Good Friday. So there's a few questions, but time out. You may be saying, okay, wait a second. You just said that the composition of the elements isn't really important. And you've also said that the frequency isn't really important. And you even said that the name isn't really important. Okay, so what does matter then, Craig? Does anything matter? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Thank you for thinking of that question. Don't be so angry with me. I'm just a guest. Uh, here's what does matter, okay? I said it already. The heart matters. The heart matters to Jesus. The prepared heart. Every time we step into the Lord's Supper, it is a big deal that we prepare our hearts because it's possible, it's possible to do it very wrong. Look back at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Back it up a bit. But in the following instructions, I don't commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together, that's that word communion. As a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you to be recognized. Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes around with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. What's happening at Corinth? See, what's happening is they're doing the Lord's Supper wrong. That much is certain. 
There were factions, there were disagreements. The rich ate first, the poor finished their longer work days. They got to eat. The way that you're coming together, says Paul, is actually pulling you apart. And so to recalibrate them, he tells them the truth. We've read these words already. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This, says Paul, is how you should do it. So the biggest question we ask, apart from what is the Lord's Supper, is how do we prepare for it? Now, to help us understand this, we put together a little diagram for you, and I'll fill, it'll fill in as I talk. Uh, there's five things to consider as you prepare for the Lord's Supper. We'll call it five looks, as it were. Uh, the first look is a look back. Look back. The, Paul said, as he has received this word from the Lord, he is to remind the people that they are doing this in remembrance of Jesus. We, church, are gathering to remember the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice for our sin. We look back. We remember this. We worship him. We remember that we were a sinner separated from the grace of God. We remember that he, Jesus, gave his life for us, the creator of all life, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross for me. He died for the worst. He died for the prostitutes who were watching him. He died for the cowards who ran from him. He died for the Roman murderers who nailed his hands to the cross. He died for the religious authorities who mocked him. He died for the people who chose a murderer over him. He died for Peter, who would deny him three times. He died for Mary, his mom, who was confused by him. For Paul, who would imprison and kill his followers. He died for me. No better than any of them, the chief of sinners, lost and damned. It was my sin, just as much as it was their sin, that Jesus considered. He died for me. And so at the Lord's Supper, we critically look back and remember this. But we also look up. we got to ask the question, don't we? Why would God do this for me? Can you think of anything more awful than dying for people who have rejected you? For people who have hurt you? That you would willingly offer your life for them? Some of you in this room have children. You can think about this. You would certainly die for the children that you have. I don't think there's a parent in the room who wouldn't say yes to that? There's something in the heart that just says, yes, that's right. I will die for my children. But would you expand that circle out to die for anybody? And to die for people who hated you? I mean, think about this. Can you think of anything worse than that? Well, I can. What if it wasn't my life for these people? What if it was my son's life 
I have a son. I have an only son. What if my son died for those people? Now that's pain. And that brings you into the window of the heart of the father. Why would God do this? Why would Jesus lay down his life for this? Why would the father suffer so? And the answer is just as simple. And we said it before. Well, you would die for the kids you have, but would you die for people like this? And there it is. There's the answer. Because you would die for your children. Children you love. God did this. You understand this, right, church? God did this because that's how unfathomable his love is for you and I. Unfathomably deep is his ocean of love. What can you bring to your salvation that God hasn't already given to you? Daughter, son of God, he knows who you really are. He loves you. He just wants you. We look up and consider the great love of God. But thirdly, we also look around. You see, the Lord's Supper is not some private devotional experience that just happens to involve a bunch of people who are doing the same thing at the same time. Like sitting in a movie theater and you look across the aisle and synchronized are people putting popcorn in their mouth. That's not the Lord's Supper at all. So we look around in the Lord's Supper. We look around at the body of Christ in our midst. We look around at the people of God who've been redeemed by God. And then we ask right questions. Do we have any sins against others in this room? Any breaches in the body that need to be healed? To make that right as quick as possible, even if it means a hushed conversation in the middle of the church. We look around at the people who are participating together. Fourthly, we also look within. Look within. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, uh, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then he says this in verse 30, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have even died. Let me just say this. The Lord's Supper is a community-defining meal. It is for followers of Jesus Christ only. The Lord's Supper is not, is not for unbelievers. And it should not be practiced for, by followers of Christ who are in continual, perpetual, unrepentant sin. When a person participates in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, instead of drinking a cup of blessing, they're drinking a cup of cursing. Listen, God is not going to be mocked. If people celebrate one of the most sacred activities in the church and they do it in an inappropriate way, they expose themselves to the judgment of God. The Lord's Supper requires that we look in at our hearts at any unconfessed sin. What business do I need to be having right now with God? Where am I being resistant to being obedient? 
Where is the apology I need to give, the forgiveness I need to seek? Where have I diminished my view of God? Where have I bought lies about God, his power, his love, his authority? Where have I lost sight of hope because I've lost sight of God? Where is there anger in my life against family or friends or spouses or bosses or co-workers? Where is there covetousness, the desire for more and more and more? Where is there laziness? Where is there greed? Where is there lies? Where is there sexual immorality? What is it that I need to repent of and make right? The Lord's Supper is an appropriate time for you to examine yourself and confess those sins before God and remind yourself that the gospel offers forgiveness in Christ and that we all need it. Christ Jesus shed his blood for us because only his death could redeem us from this. So at the Lord's Supper, we remind ourselves again of our need for forgiveness. And we should confess to God the ways that we have fallen short of that glory. To worship him. To say, Jesus, thank you for the cross. There's a final look that we also make. You see them already so far. We look back, we look up. We look around. We look within. But remember these words we saw in Mark 14? Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then we saw this in 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We look back, we look up, we look around, we look within. But then the fifth one is we look ahead. We look ahead. Look ahead to what? Let me read you something from Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sounds of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage supper of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. These are the true words of God's. Loved ones, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're also celebrating with a sure and certain knowledge that Jesus is coming again. And he is building his church. And nothing is going to stop that. And his word is unstoppable. And his grace is sufficient. And his love will never end. The Lord's Supper is no sad morning feast at a graveside. It's a triumphant prelude to a banquet. It reminds us that Jesus has won and Jesus is coming back again and he will reign and triumph forever and that he is worthy of all praise. The Lord's Supper is precious to the life of the church. I pray that as God has been leading us through his word, he's been leading your heart also. And maybe even showing you things, either that you didn't know before or that you knew and you forgot. And leading you to a place to worship him with more fullness as we wrap up our time together. Let me pray for us now. Uh, We're going to sing a song briefly, and then we'll observe the Lord's Supper together. Would you bow with me again, church? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, which leads us into life. 
We thank you for double-edged clarity. Exposing, Lord, maybe the ways that we have diminished or that we have forgotten or that we have been uh, flippantly treating the Lord's Supper. You know my heart, Lord. You know I'm guilty of this also. At some point along the line, it becomes just something we do. But it's not just something we do. It's a physical act we do with joy that reminds us of a glorious gift of life that we have in Jesus Christ. The promise of hope and life, not just today, a fullness of life, not just today, but of a future that awaits us. Yes, God, packaged in silly plastic wrappers, but of eternal consequence to us, of enormous meaning to us. We pray, Lord, that you would lead us even as we would worship you in song, and then, Lord, also lead us intimately in the Lord's Supper. And I pray, God, even right now, maybe there's confession of sin that needs to be happening right now between you and that person. Weigh that heart heavy down, Lord. Lead them to the grace that's found in Jesus Christ, forgiveness in Jesus Christ, that the Lord's Supper may be participated in with joy and with true worship. Please lead us, God. Be glorified. In Jesus' name. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.